This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. One of my favorite stories this week, one of my favorite books of the Bible, we are going to dig into the book of Daniel. And I don't think there's more of an appropriate message for us to go into today than the story of Daniel. I want to uh, remind you again, um, if, if you haven't yet, please fill out your connection card. Also, um, if you are, if you're following along with us, follow along uh, on the YouVersion Bible app. Uh, open that up on your mobile device uh, if you have that. If you're here with us, you can open that up. Open the Bible app. Go to, um, go to more, hit events, and, uh, and you'll find our notes listed there. And you can follow along with all the scriptures and all the notes, all the points and, and everything along with that. Uh, to. As Shauna said, we are doing a series called The Story. We are in the, what week? 18th week of a 30-week series called The Story. And so for those of you who are new, we, we've taken several weeks off over the summer where we, we've done a couple different things and taught a couple different things. And unfortunately, we were supposed to have a family day and all kinds of different stuff that kind of got a, got a little bit um, uh, run off the rails a little bit there. We weren't able quite to do everything that we'd planned to do. But we are back on track with the story. And uh, so for those of you who have, have not joined us with the story for the story before, um, the story is basically a book that we're following along with. It is a Bible. It is an abridged version of the Bible in the New Chronicles. New International Version that is in chronological order so that we can follow along easily. But what I realized, what I felt like the Lord spoke to me was that most of the body of Christ never opens their Bible outside of Sunday morning. Most never have. And so let's start somewhere. And so the goal this year has been to cover the Bible from cover to cover. And look, the, the whole goal is to see God's plan for creation from the beginning of time till today and into the future. Because how many of you know, it may be, maybe it's a little hard for you to see in your current circumstances and situation right now, but God is absolutely weaving his purposes in the earth today. He is more at work. He is, is as much as work in the earth as he has ever been throughout any point in history. God is on the move. God is on the move. And that's what we were, we were wanting to see through the story is what has God been doing from the beginning of time to today and into the future. Again, as Shauna said, if you don't have a copy of the story, we will get that for you or, or we can send you a message and let you know where you can order that. Um, if you don't know, there are children's books so you can follow along with your kids as well. And um, obviously it's you know, at their level to make it easy for them to follow along with. But the whole idea is that the whole church is on the same page every week. We're, 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 we're reading the same things. We're talking about the same things. We're praying about the same things. We're allowing God to speak to us on the same matters um, throughout this whole process, which has been great for the year 2020 because it's kept us uh, together in, uh, in more ways than one. So we started this series in February in the book of Genesis. We'll end in November in the book of Revelation. And like I said, our goal is to understand God's plan through history. And we know that it is all about God's plan to bring humanity back into relationship with him the way he originally intended it in the beginning. Amen? So week one, how many of you are here for week one of the story? Week one, I gave you a timeline. How many of you remember the timeline that I handed out? I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to put that on the screen. And it's a timeline, and this is just a portion of it. This is the Old Testament. This is how far we have come so far. We are three weeks away from Jesus, guys. <laughs> Woo! <-hoo! laughs> we are three weeks away from Jesus. 
So this is where we've come so far in the timeline of biblical history. And so I'm, I'm just going to read this to you real quick just to kind of catch you up for just a moment. In the beginning, we read right at the beginning, we started on week one. In the upper story, God creates the lower story. Remember, the lower story is our perspective. It's what we see. It's what we experience, what we feel, what we deal with here on a human physical level. And then you've got God's upper story, what he's doing in the upper story. In the upper story, God creates a lower story. His vision is to come down and to be with us in a beautiful garden. But the first two people reject God's vision, and they are escorted from paradise. Their decision introduces sin into the human race and keeps us from community with God. At this moment, God gives a promise and launches a plan to get us back. Right from the beginning, guys. God had a plan to get us back. The rest of the Bible is God's story of how he kept that promise and made it possible for us to enter into a loving relationship with him. We got through that. We got through Noah and the flood. God's kind of started over again with Noah's seed. And we get on to the next part of the story, the part two, which we're still kind of in right now. God builds a brand new nation called Israel. Through this nation, he will reveal his presence and his power and his plan to get us back. Every story of Israel will point to the first coming of Jesus, the one who will provide a way back to God. Somebody say, hallelujah. <laughs> so let's, let's wrap up this part, this, this section of the story, where we've come over the last several months. So we know we're, we're, we, we just talked about Israel there. So God has promised Abraham that through him, unconditionally, through Abraham's seed, God is going to send the Messiah right? That he's going to birth a nation through Abraham called Israel, and through Israel would come the Messiah, the one who would make a way for us to come back into relationship with the Father. So we know that Abraham's children, uh, after a while, they end up in Egypt, and they're enslaved for a few hundred years, but God raises up Moses to deliver them, right? And by this time, there are a few million people. After 40 years in the wilderness, we know under the leadership of Joshua, they finally received the land that God had promised them, which is referred to as the promised land. Uh, we went from there and talked about how for the next three to 400 years, they had some serious ups and downs. They kept getting themselves in trouble, so God kept raising up judges. And these judges would come in and, and would rescue them in times of trouble and would lead them into battle and would mediate issues and resolve disputes and led them in the ways of the Lord. Until that judge died, of course. And then they would get back off track. And God would send another judge, right? So then they demand a king. And we got to the point where um, Samuel anoints Saul to be king. But Saul didn't reign very long before he proved that he really was not worthy to lead God's people. He had too much pride and arrogance and even insecurities. And so Saul is king for, I think it was 42 years. So next we know that God anoints David as king. And, and David was far from perfect. He didn't reign perfectly. He had his flaws, but we know that his heart was after God. And he was a great king, and he led well. And that was really the glory days of Israel. Following that, we went in and we talked about Solomon. Uh, once David died, his son Solomon took the throne Things went well until closer to the end, and then talk about going off the rails. Things start going badly for, uh, for Israel from that point onward. We know from Solomon's son, uh, and all kinds of issues. The kingdom splits, right? You got Israel in the northern kingdom. You got Judah in the, in the, southern, is the southern kingdom. For the next few hundred years, kings come and go. We know that there were about 20 kings of Israel, and most of them were rotten. There were about 20 kings of Judah. And eight or nine of them were decent. 
couple of them were, were good, right? But for the most part, they did evil in the sight of the Lord and led God's people further astray and further away from him. We know that during this time, God sent prophets over and over and over again to warn them and to try to bring them back. Look, guys, God's just trying to get Jesus into the earth. He promised it through the line of Judah. He's going, come on, guys, get on track, get in line. I'm trying to bring the Messiah to you. But they keep running off the wrong direction. He's just trying to get the Messiah here. So God sends the prophets over and over again warning them, but they reject every warning of the prophets. And so finally God allows them to be conquered, led away into captivity. Jerusalem is burned. Solomon's beautiful temple is utterly destroyed. Many people die. Many are made slaves. They end up in a foreign land. And even in this, the last thing that that we talked about, that I talked about, was Jeremiah. We call the weeping prophet, right? He's standing there as the people are being led away from Jerusalem into captivity. And he's crying out the word of the Lord. And he says, 70 years, 70 years, and God's going to deliver you back to your home. 70 years. So God was still for, we serve a good, good father. We serve a good, good father. So this brings us to the book of Daniel. So if you've read the book of Daniel, it's um, 12 chapters. And the first six chapters of Daniel are some of the greatest Bible stories that we grew up with in children's church. Some of the greatest stories, obviously Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire furnace, and, you know, some of those. Uh, The next six chapters, the last six chapters of Daniel are primarily prophetic. And Daniel gets uh, words from the Lord and visions regarding the future. I mean, some crazy detailed prophecies. Uh, that, and, and let me just give you, I'm going to give you one example of this before we dig in further. But in Daniel chapter 9, we have a prophetic word that Daniel gave that is referred to today as the 70 weeks of Daniel. How many of you have ever heard of that? Heard of the 70 weeks of Daniel? Guys, this is, it's, it's really something. But basically, in, in Daniel chapter 9, uh, Daniel prophesies four things. He prophesied that there would be a decree to rebuild Jerusalem. He prophesied that Jerusalem and the temple would be rebuilt. He prophesied that the anointed one, the Messiah, that he would be, it says, cut off in many versions. It's also translated rejected or killed. And he then prophesied that Jerusalem and the temple would be destroyed again. How many of you know that all those things happened? Right? All those things happened. But David even gives a timeline in Daniel. I'm sorry, Daniel gives a timeline in Daniel chapter 9. And it, it's a little hard to, I, I, I watched a bunch of YouTube videos as people were working the, the math out and, and stuff in this. But he talks about how on this timeline of this prophecy that he gives in Daniel chapter 9, that, that he says that they, the prophecy, this timeline would start on the day the Israelites were released back home. And then he goes in and he talks about the timeline, how there would be 70 sets of seven. He says there would be seven sets of seven and 62 sets of seven weeks and, and all these different things. He gives this period of time that would pass between the time that the temple was rebuilt and the time that the Messiah would die. You know, theologians and mathematicians have worked up Daniel's prophecy. They've put all this together and worked up the numbers. And it's generally agreed upon that they say that in the prophecy, what Daniel was prophesying is that between the temple being rebuilt and the Messiah coming, there would be 173,880 days. That's pretty specific right there. Well, when did we say the prophecy would start? The day the Israelites were released back to their homeland, right? We know that that happened on March 14, 445. It was under a decree by King Artaxerxes. May 14, uh, I'm sorry, March 14, 445 BC. So if we get 
that date in 445 B.C., and we add 173,880 days. You know what the date is? April 6, 32 A.D. April 6, 32 A.D. Y'all aren't getting this, are you? Guys, that should be within days of Jesus dying on the cross. You get this? Uh, I was a lot more excited about it. Sorry. <laughs> That's a pretty incredible prophetic word right there. So after that, Daniel goes on to prophesy other things, and, and many believe that, that, that much of the prophecy even referred to the church age and, and things that, that maybe even has not occurred yet. But guys, let's remember Daniel's, Daniel's situation. In Daniel chapter 1, we know that Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon has come, and he has captured Jerusalem. And like I say, uh, man, he had destroyed the temple. Actually, it says he took all the sacred objects that, remember, Solomon had made. He takes all the sacred objects out of the temple, and he takes them to Babylon and puts them in the temple to his God. We know that the temple was destroyed, Jerusalem was burned. Daniel probably saw family and friends killed in battle. He probably saw them taken as slaves. And he was probably, they think he was probably a child as they were all marched off to this foreign land, pagan land called Babylon. So we know that as, as chapter 1 of Daniel opens, um, Nebuchadnezzar selects some of the finest young men, it, it was generally nobility, but some of the finest young men of Judah to come and be trained in his court. And he kind of wants to see how they do, right? So we know that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were four of these young Jews that were chosen to be a part of this. And the Bible tells us that they had to learn the language of the Babylonians. It says they had to learn the literature of the Babylonians. Guys, this would have been absolute heresy to the Jews to be any part of, right? I'm sure they had to learn about the, about the Babylonian gods and their customs and about the worship. They had to learn all these different things. Guys, this would have been, I can only imagine this would have been a worst case scenario for the Jewish people. This would have been terrible. The Babylonians were known for being absolutely pagan and barbaric. They worshipped the gods um, Cush and Nimrod. And the Babylonians were known for sacrificing their children to these gods. And this is where the people of God find themselves. And you think you got it bad today. <laughs> we're just inconvenienced today. These guys found themselves in a rough situation. So Daniel and these other guys, they're the foreigners. They're the strangers. They're the outsiders. They probably looked a little different. Obviously, they talked different. They had a weird accent. Everybody knew they were different, which is interesting. But you know what Jesus says about us? In John 15, verse 19, 19, he says, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Say, he's talking about me. Somebody say it. He's talking about me. Philippians 3.20 says, But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. We're citizens of what? Heaven. So Daniel and these Jews were exiles in a foreign land. Guess what? You're in exile in a foreign land. I'm in exile in a foreign land. The Bible tells us clearly. It says we are not of this world. Now, we serve a king. We serve the king 
of our land. Our nationality is of the kingdom of heaven. Now, right now in the physical, you live in the United States of America. And every four years or so, you get the opportunity to help elect a new king, right? But we are not ultimately answerable to him. We are ultimately answerable to the king of our world. We honor and we serve the position of the leader of this nation. We serve him as long as it doesn't violate God's word. But we got to recognize that we are not ultimately answerable to him. Whoever he may be come this November, we're answerable to our king and our king alone, right? So the president is like a king that we serve on earth, but we ultimately represent Jesus. Another interesting little tidbit I, I wanted to mention here real quick I threw in. Daniel served several kings. Uh, and actually, there's a little bit of confusion on, on a couple things in there, but, but the book of Daniel mentions four. Mentions, um, mentions Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, uh, Darius, and Cyrus. And these guys were different. As a matter of fact, we know that Cyrus was a Persian, that, that he was the last king there mentioned in Daniel, and that Persia came in and conquered Babylon, and Daniel's still serving. Somehow he made it through that whole transition, that whole conquering thing and whatever happened, the battles and whatever else, and he's still serving the king. These kings were all different. It didn't matter who they are. It didn't matter what party they were affiliated with. Daniel served them faithfully. You see this? You're not seeing this. Guys, when I say it doesn't matter what party they were affiliated with, if these guys, one of these four kings mentioned in Daniel, was made our president today... It would be a bad thing. It'd be bad. These were bad dudes. They saw themselves as gods. This goes way beyond Democrat and Republican. This was bad news. Bad news. This was worst case for a Jewish person. You see what I'm saying? Daniel kept serving him. He kept serving and he kept serving but his job, as we see, was not to represent them. It was to represent his God to them. He served them, but we know that his ultimate loyalty was to the one true God. So again, we find ourselves as Americans in an interesting situation today. We live in a world that seems to be getting increasingly evil. We live in a world that is completely backwards in comparison to the kingdom of our nationality. Our world is completely backwards. Let, let me give you a few examples. The kingdom we're of, more is less. Tell somebody that today. They'd be like, what? The life pursuit of most humans is to attain more power and wealth and influence. But Jesus says the way to becoming more is by becoming less. If you want to be full, empty yourself. What does that even mean? What? It's so backwards. Give control of your life over and surrender. Our kingdom says others come first. Instead of mine, 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 everything is mine, Jesus tells us to look to the interests of others before ourselves. In our kingdom, we're told to go lower to get higher, that we descend into greatness through humility, that 
we, we let go of our pride and we let go of our ego, that we aren't the center of the universe. The greatness is something that we descend into. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. It's completely backwards from the world that we are living in in this moment. How about give more to receive more? Give to receive. Most kingdoms are about building and accumulating more and more wealth. Jesus tells us that he wants us to discover the path to real joy is not getting more, but giving more. And as we give more, we're blessed more. Two more. Our kingdom, life is not about us. It's about God and his glory. The Bible tells us that everything else is worthless. But for the beauty and the splendor of our God. And here's the last one that really throws you for a loop. The kingdom we're of, the king won the battle by dying. What? And we win by dying. We win by dying. We are called to die so that we might find life. We are not of this world. This world is completely opposite of the kingdom of our nationality. And this is where Daniel finds himself. I'm going to give you three points. Now, I want to just kind of answer the question, what can the book of Daniel, what can the lives of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego teach us about living in this world as a foreigner and as a stranger? Three things. Number one, we must stand out. We must stand out. Now, Let's just go back to Daniel chapter 1. In chapter 1, in, uh, in verse 8, we see that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego find themselves in the king's court. The king uh, tries to fatten them up the best of the food, brings them these, these things, and Daniel says no, right? Actually, he doesn't just say no. Look, let's just read it. Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. Look at the honor and the respect that Daniel off- offers those who are in authority over him at this point. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, but he asked, everybody say he asked. He asked the chief official for what? Permission to not defile himself in this way. And we know that this official agreed to try this arrangement. I believe because of the honor that Daniel showed this pagan official, God honored that request and softened his heart and allowed him to be able to do this. So the official agrees, instead of giving them the the food of the king, which basically would have, much of it would have violated the dietary laws of the people of Israel, uh, that, that God had established. Um, he allowed them to uh, eat uh, vegetables and food that was allowable by, by Jewish law. So after a period of time, we know that it tells us that this official brings all these young men before King Nebuchadnezzar, presents them before him, and it says that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they absolutely stood out. That's our first point. we want, we got to stand out. They absolutely stood out from all the rest of the young men. They were healthier, they were smarter, they were wiser than all of the others. Why did they stand out? They stood out because they chose not to defile themselves. Do you see that? Guys, in our culture today, how many of you would agree that there is plenty to be defiled with today? There's plenty. Uh, and, and, and the word defile just simply means to, to stain or, or to pollute. And the reality is it's impossible to live in our culture today and, and to never be defiled. 
We sometimes, I mean, you guys know, we sometimes open the door and we allow things to come in that puts a stain. It, it pollutes us a little bit and, and we've, got to, we've got to cleanse ourselves. Because here's the thing, it's all about looking more and more like Jesus every day. We're not perfect. Sometimes our emotions are going to get the best of us and we're going to open a door and we're going to find ourselves defiled. We own it. And we go before God in repentance and we allow him to cleanse us of that defilement, right? It's about moving forward. And, and I, I don't know where you're at. There may be somebody watching and you may feel that you are utterly eaten up and consumed in your sin. And you feel unworthy and dirty. And the enemy may be heal, um, just heaping guilt and shame upon you. But no, Romans 1.8, uh, I'm sorry, Romans 8.1 says, Therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's saying here, my grace is sufficient for you. You are forgiven. You are free. Walk in that freedom. You're not perfect, but keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. You're going to trip. You're going to fall. Get back up. Cleanse yourself. Keep moving forward. The key to being like Daniel is resolving to not be defiled so that we can stand out in the world. So if you go on in Daniel chapter 2, the king has a dream, right? He wants somebody to interpret this dream. Nobody can do it, so the king says, you're all dead. I'm killing all my advisors. Off with their head, right? Daniel says, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. He says, king, I can't answer. I, I, I can't interpret your dream. I can't tell you what your dream was. I can't interpret the dream, but I serve a God who can. So if you give me a minute and let, let, me, let me go talk to him about it, I'll come back to you and I'll tell you your dream and I'll give you the interpretation. So Nebuchadnezzar puts this whole off of the head thing on hold and says, all right. Daniel goes, he gets before God. God reveals the dream and the interpretation to him. Daniel comes back, tells King Nebuchadnezzar. And you know what it says? It says that King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face before Daniel. You talk about standing out. The king of the Babylonian empire falls on his face before Daniel and honors him. And let, let's look at it real quick. In, we're in chapter 2, verse 47 and 48. It says, the king said to Daniel, this is what he says, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries, for you are able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all of his wise men. Guys, do you know what would happen in, just in our culture today if we as the people of God quit representing ourselves and represented the king of kings and the lord of lords? We would stand out. We would be noticed. And look, Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach and Abednego, here's one of the things I love about them. They were so humble all along the way. They made it very clear over and over again. They said, look, I'm not the source of this. I'm not the source of this information. I'm not the source of this answer. I'm not the answer to the problem. And they would say, I can't solve this, but I know the God who can. Hang on and let me seek him and let's let him move in this situation. They took absolute, you never see them one time taking credit for what God did. Here's what I came to before we go into the next point. Guys, I think too often today, as we live in the physical in our own lower story, I think we try to take on the role of the Holy Spirit too often. I think we try to steal his job. We try to do our own thing, 
And we try to convince people in our own strength and in our own energy and our own logic of what they should think and how they should go and what they should do and when they should do it and all these different things. Just look at all the Facebook rants. People make judgments based on whether somebody is this or this. And then what happens as a result? We, the people of God, look just like everybody else. We don't stand out in the slightest. Instead of allowing God to move, allowing the Holy Spirit to do his thing, we got ourselves involved. We tried to make a point. And we turned people off instead of turning people on to the Most High God. What would happen? What would happen if we stopped getting ourselves involved And we let ourselves to simply be humble conduits for God and allowed him to work and to speak and to move instead. Daniel says it over and over again. I can't reveal the mysteries of God. I can't reveal the mysteries to the king, but my God can. Daniel waits upon the Lord, and what happens? God shows up, the king bows down, and he says, your God is the one true God. I made one more point in this. As I mentioned a while ago, how many of you know there's an election coming up in December, in November? What if we quit representing candidates and represented Jesus? Point number one, we got to stand out. <laughs> Point two, we're going to have to move fast. Number one is we got to stand out. To do so, number two, we have to stand up. Stand up. You probably know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego pretty well. They were supposed to bow to this 90-foot golden statue. They flat out refused, which determined their fate. We see in Daniel chapter 3, verse 6, they said, Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. They were warned. They said no. They were thrown into a fiery furnace. Right? King, but, but here's the thing. The funny thing is, before they were thrown into the furnace, King Nebuchadnezzar confronts them, right? He brings them form, and he gives them one last chance. He doesn't immediately throw them in the furnace like he said. He, Guys, I, I don't know what the problem is. I'm, I'm going to give you one more chance on this. Make the right decision this time, right? And go down a, a couple scriptures. We're in Daniel chapter 3. Go down a few to verse 16. Here's their response to him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him and said, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Y'all see that? Talk about backwards from the world we live in today. Nope, we don't need to defend ourselves. We don't have to defend ourselves. We're not calling our attorney. Not calling Morgan and Morgan. We're not going to call 6837000. No need. We have, they said we have no need to defend ourselves. Verse 17, it says, If we are thrown into the, into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image, the image of gold that you have set up. How many of you know they stand it up right now? <laughs> Everybody else is bowed down. They are standing out and standing up. The only way for us to stand out will be to stand up and represent Jesus in the, in the world. What did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego not do? 
They didn't bow their knee. Guys, I don't know what the idol is in your life. We've all had idols. We've all had things in our lives that we've bowed our knees to that we shouldn't have. Now, I guarantee you, you live in this world long enough, you're bowing your knee to something. You could be bowing your knee to that bottle of scotch you drink too much of at the end of the day that you say helps you to relax. You might be bending your knee to pornography or an extramarital affair, or maybe it's two crooked business practices that you have found yourself now somehow involved in. Slippery slope. Maybe you're bending your knee to judgment and criticism. Maybe you're bending your knee to pleasure. Maybe you're bending your knee to your pride and your need to be right all the time. Maybe you're bending your knee to the pressures of the culture. There are a lot of things to bow our knee to. The question is, when will we stand up? When, where, how far do we have to go before we get to the point where we say, enough is enough, I will not bow my knee to that another moment. When we take a stand, the world takes notice. The world honors it. They love somebody who will stand up out, out of the crowd. and Well, sometimes. We live in such a mixed up world today. I was listening to a preacher who was uh, talking about Daniel, and he was talking about um, a time, he, he was saying his son was uh, uh, at, a, at this private school a few years ago and was part of the swim team. And, uh, and swim team was going, made it far, was going to this big tournament. The tournament was scheduled on Rosh Hashanah. Well, they had several Jewish members of the swim team who said, we can't be there, we can't be a part of that. And it turned out there was more Jewish swimmers than they thought there were. And so this preacher, he said his son, who was a Christian, stood up and got the swim team together and said, uh, we need to get them to move the date. Well, they were, refused to move the date for this. And so he finally, um, he finally got the swim team together and they agreed. They said, we're not swimming. We respect our Jewish brothers and sisters enough that we're going to sit out this swim meet. Well, that kind of upset the school who got involved and they ended up getting with the people who were hosting the meet and the dates got changed, right? Uh, but it was two or three days of mess there, you know, um, in the midst of the whole thing. And his son said the next day he went to class, and he said he went to class to this teacher who was, a, who was a atheist, uh, an, an atheist hippie. And when he walked into the room, said that teacher went up and gave him a big hug and whispered in his ear and said, thank you. And he's going, what? The atheist is honoring the Christian for honoring the Jew? What in the world is happening? Guys, the world notices when we stand up for something. When's the last time you stood up for Jesus? When's the last time you stood up for Christ? As a Christian, if you aren't standing up for Christ, it's probably because you're bowing your knee to something. We got to stand up. We do so, I'm sorry, we got to stand out. We do so by standing up. Once you're standing up, you got to do number three. Number three is stand firm. We got to stand firm, regardless of what happens. And to wrap this up, guys, we're going to jump ahead to Daniel chapter six, and we find Daniel and the lion's den, the story. So Daniel is so blessed, he's finding so much favor. Uh, you know, in the midst of, of everything. And so all these other political leaders who are really Daniel's peers, um, they get kind of jealous and they organize this situation where Daniel will break the law, right? So what is the law? The law is the people in the Babylonian Empire 
are only to pray to King Darius. King Darius is the new king since Nebuchadnezzar died. Are only to pray to King Darius for the next 30 days. They said the only God you were allowed to pray to was King Darius for 30 days. They know that Daniel prays three times a day to his own God. And so if David just, I'm sorry, I keep saying David. If Daniel just one time prays to his God, he's guilty. And the sentence is to be thrown into a den of hungry lions, right? But we know that Daniel would not bend his knee. He was not afraid. The Bible actually says he opened up his windows and bowed down and prayed like he always did. The guys catch him. They probably took a photo and posted it to Instagram. It went viral. And Daniel found himself in a lion's den. Right? So the funny thing is, interestingly, um, King Darius had really come to value Daniel. And we know this situation just broke his heart. And... He wouldn't eat anything all night long. He finally, first thing in the morning, he runs down there. Daniel, has your God saved you? And we know that sure enough, God had, and and Daniel was alive. But here's what Darius says next. And like I said, we're in Daniel chapter 6. In verses 25 through 28, here's what Darius says. It says, Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language and all the earth, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He, provide, he performs signs and wonders in the heavens and in the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and then the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Do you see what Darius says here? That this is like the atheist honoring the Christian for honoring the Jew. It's like, what in the world? The pagan king says the God of Daniel is the one true God. Honor him. Guys, the problem, especially for us as Americans, is that we don't humble and submit ourselves to God. We don't wait upon the Lord to take action and to move. We don't trust him and allow him to fight the battles. Notice in each of these instances, these guys never, not one time, defended themselves. That's backwards from the society we live in today. Not one time did they defend themselves. They didn't argue They didn't, after everything turned out good, they didn't try to take revenge. They didn't try to take matters in their own hands. They didn't rant on Facebook. They didn't host a sit-in. Guys, they didn't even protest. They call upon the name of the Lord. They say, our God will deliver us, and God does. Guys, God's people, as God's people, we have to surrender our will and our attitude and our behavior. And we got to stay out of some stuff. Guys, I don't know if you know this, but God doesn't need you to fight for him. 
He can fight for himself. That's what I see Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego doing. God is attacked. They just get out of the way and go to a God. And they let him do his thing. But like I said, we try to, try to take the place of the Holy Spirit. We try to take the place of God. We try to fight his battles for him. We try to get too much of self and emotion and feeling involved. Rather than allowing the Holy Spirit to use us and to speak through us. Guys, when we humble ourselves, that's when the people of the world will take notice and say, Wow, your God is the one true God, the everlasting God, and his reign will never end. The problem is today, I think in America, we have too much wealth, like affluence, but far too little dependence on God. We have all this independence, we have far too little humility and surrender. We have all this trust in our own ability, but no surrender. And so what does this end up looking like today? Looks just like everybody else. Our marriages are in chaos. We're constantly fighting and bickering among one another. We spend all of our energy trying to get people to see through our perspective and expecting them to agree with us. We're always trying to get others to change and behave and act the way that we want them to. And how's that working out? (laughs) I'd say not very good. Instead of humble surrender... We're trying to find the answers all kinds of different places. People look at economic status. If I could just drive this kind of car, and if I could just live in this area, and if I could just wear these kind of clothes. I, I, we spend all this energy trying to conform. And all we're doing is staining and polluting ourselves. We think all these things, all this, all this conforming that we do to the world, we think that it's going to relieve the stress and the pressures of life. When in reality, we should surrender. We should say, I'm going to follow God's word. We say, God, I'm going to live within my means. God, I'm going to trust you to lead me and guide me. I'm going to trust you to open up the right doors for me in the right moment. I thank you that I'm more than enough. I refuse to live in anxiety and in fear and in stress and depression and anger and unforgiveness. Guys, we're not designed to carry those things anyway. We never were. Those things, anxiety and fear and stress, that's what causes us to turn to food and drugs and alcohol and, and porn and affairs and anger and revenge and unforgiveness and all these other things. We're carrying things we're not supposed to carry. We're supposed to get ourselves out of the way and let God move. Like Daniel, we have to resolve to not defile ourselves so that we can stand up and represent the one true king. We are living in exile. This is not our home. The church needs to be seen today. But not because of how eloquent of speakers we are, how convincing we are in our arguments. We need to be seen because of the power and the presence of a holy God. Not by how well we argue or make points. Y'all learn a few things about Daniel? What an example. What a world they were living in. Guys, today, and I'm actually going to invite the worship team to come on up. And why don't y'all all just stand up with me before we, before we conclude. Guys, in thinking about this message, you are in one of three positions today. One, 
You may have never surrendered your life to God before. You, you've never done it. All you know is, is living life for yourself and doing things your own way and, and recognizing what an utter failure that is most of the time. You just find yourself just lost in your sin. That's the first position. Secondly, you may have surrendered your life to God. You have, may have made Jesus Lord of your life, but you find that you've opened some doors and you've allowed yourself to be defiled with some things so that now the Holy Spirit is quenched in your life and God can't use you to do half the things that he wants you to do. He needs you to get clean, to wash yourself clean of that stain and that pollution and all those things that are keeping you from fulfilling your potential and what he created you to do. Does this make sense? If you're in that position, probably, if you're in church today or even watching online, probably what has happened is it's just become old routine religion. And then the third position you may be in, you may be living, you may have surrendered and you may be living under the power and the presence and the control of the Holy Spirit and you may be Jesus' representative in the world today. And if you aren't sure where you stand, it's actually pretty simple. You're basically going to trade your life in today for a new one. You're going to repent, turn from your ways, repent for allowing, not allowing God to take control. And you're going to allow him to lead and to guide your life from this day forward. Or like I said, maybe you've done that, but the cares of this world has so numbed you and polluted you that that even church itself is nothing more than just going through the motions. Your prayer life is dry and empty. Guys, the answer we've heard over and over again today, all the way back in worship, even what Shauna said, the answer is surrender. It's surrender. Surrender allows the release and the move of the Holy Spirit in our lives. When we say, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here, well, of course he's welcome. He can go anywhere that he wants to. No, we're saying, you're welcome here. Here, I get the defilement and all the junk that's taken up all the space in my life out of the way. I make room for you so that you are welcome here in my life to lead me and to guide me. If that's you and you need to surrender your life to Jesus, let's bow our heads right quick. If you're watching online, guys, it's as simple as this. You repent, you turn from your sin. You choose to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he laid down, he came to earth so that he could lay down his life for you. He took all your sin and your shame and your guilt. He took it on himself. It's called the great exchange. What he deserved, you got. And what you deserved, he got. He accepted that. He did it willingly. And he did it for you. So you receive that. And you declare this day that Jesus is Lord of your life and that you'll follow him to the end. The Bible says you become a new creation, all things become new. Is the world still going to be a mess? All those messy areas of your life still going to be there? Yes. But now you've got the creator of the universe walking with you. You've got the Holy Spirit whispering in your ear and giving you wisdom and direction and advice and and, and telling you what to do and what not to do and and helping guide you through all those situations and all those different things. You've got God's supernatural favor and blessing heaped upon you. 
I wouldn't want to walk this life without it, guys. If that's you, I just encourage you to just pray something like this. Just do it in your own words. Just, just say, Father, I, I recognize that I'm lost without you. Just, just tell them, say, Jesus, I thank you for loving me so much that you took all, all the junk and the mess and the judgment, you took it all, everything that I deserved, you took it willingly and you died. You took it to the grave. You paid the price for it. And so today I accept you as the sacrifice for my sin. I accept you as the Lord of my life. I will follow you with every breath that I've got. And just ask the Holy Spirit, say, Holy Spirit, fill me, lead me, empower me to be everything that you've called me to be. In Jesus' name. And Lord, with that, I thank you for the example we see in the life of Daniel. What a man of God, living a life undefiled. We know he wasn't perfect, but Lord, what an example resolving to not be defiled by the world. And Lord, you exalted him and you honored him because of the stand that he took in this life for you. We thank you, Lord, that he didn't waver and that he was faithful. And Lord, it's tough sometimes because we, we trip and we fall and the enemy beats us up with condemnation. But Lord, we thank you that Jesus is enough. We thank you that he defeated the enemy so that we could be forever free. We thank you, Lord. As we read, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. All we have to do is receive it, believe it, live it, walk it. Lord, help us like Daniel. Help us to stand up, to stand out, to stand firm, and to represent you. That we would absolutely be undistracted and that we would remain faithful. That you could use us, that every ear will hear the good news of the saving grace of Jesus. In Jesus' name. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277.